What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Keeping Up with the Commanders. This last week for the Washington Commanders has been probably one of the most eventful weeks, and we've had some very eventful weeks in the last few weeks, but this has probably been the, the most eventful in, I don't even know since when, probably since the first week of the season, or probably since something like that, or maybe during the winning streak, because a lot of stuff has happened. Um, I, There's a lot of stuff to talk about. We'll just start with the immediate first thing, um, the big thing that happened this week, Josh Harris has reportedly agreed to a deal with Dan Snyder, the Harris group, not just Josh Harris, by the way, Josh Harris, Magic Johnson, Mitchell Rails. Uh, they have agreed on a $6.05 billion purchase of the Washington Commanders. Now, again, I've talked about Josh Harris before, but I'm going to here kind of like go through his group again. Josh Harris, uh, the co-owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, he owns the New Jersey Devils in the NHL. He also owns Crystal Palace in the Premier League. So this man, he he has experience with owning uh, sports franchises and a lot of franchises that have um, that are known for their sports, especially like the 76ers. And I know Crystal Palace is a Premier League team. So um, yeah, that's him. A billionaire Mitchell Rails also is a part of this group and NBA Hall of Famer Magic Johnson. So Again, Magic Johnson, a co-owner right now of the um, Los Angeles Lakers. And I did forget to mention, Josh Harris, by the way, is I think owns 5% of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So now, since Josh Harris reportedly has agreed to this deal with um, or to purchase the Washington Commanders, he's going to have to sell his um, investment in the Pittsburgh Steelers because, of course, you can't own more than one NFL team and pretty much more than one team in any professional sports league because of course that would be pretty unfair and pretty um well, that's a lot of collusion that could happen there but so that is um the that's who the group is a part of now it still has to get nfl owner approval and it probably won't happen until the earliest late may during those league meetings if not then it'll happen over sometime over the last over this upcoming summer we go back to last summer when the Denver Broncos were sold to um, the Walmart group. I forgot who was in it, but I know the Walmart owner was a big part of it. Lewis Hamilton from F1 was a part of it and some other people. But when it got sold to them, it took them a few months to actually finalize the deal after it was uh, agreed upon. So that is something to look at. Um, also, this agreement is non-exclusive. Of course, Dan Snyder, you know he has to make the most amount of most amount of money possible. Again, he bought this team in 1990-something, somewhere around there, um, for $800 million and is selling it for over $6 billion right now. So uh, it's non-exclusive, which means he can also get other owners or other potential owners to keep on bidding and trying to raise the price. So that is something that's a little bit fishy. But I think, and I'm, I've talked to some people as well, I think it's going to be Josh Harris. I think it's pretty much set in stone. Almost, it's like as much set in stone without being set in stone as it possibly can right now that it's going to be um, Josh Harris in that group. So that is something to watch. Also, a rumor, Kevin Durant could be joining this ownership group as an investor. That is something that has been a little bit of a rumor. I think it was reported by the Washington Post. So keep an eye on that. I'm not 100% sure if that's going to happen, but I know Kevin Durant is a huge Washington sports fan, Washington Commanders fan. So I think for him here, um, I know there's some rumors at one point during the trade when he requested a trade that he was going to go to the Washington Wizards and head home. And when he hit free agency a couple years ago, he was going to go to the Washington Wizards. But 
for now. Um, nothing really has come out from that, but Kevin Durant possibly being a, a part or a part owner of the Washington Commanders could be something to keep an eye on. Also, Tillman for Tita, he said that, um, well, he said that he bid $5.6 billion, but at some point, and this is his quote, at some point you have to draw a line in the sand. So it looks like Tillman for Tita and all of the, all, all of his group and all of his investors that are in it are out of the bidding, $5.6 billion, about a half billion less than Josh Harris's um, proposal and his agreement with Dan Snyder and his $6.05 billion that his group has. So that is something to keep an eye on. And also, there's been a lot of talk, new owner, will that mean another rebrand for the Washington Commanders? Again, Daniel Snyder changing the name two years or three years ago, actually, from, uh, from previous name to the Washington football team. And then last year, going from the Washington football team to the Washington Commanders, a just over a year ago now. I think it's like been a year and three months. So two rebrands. Um, sorry. Well, we've had three different names under the Dan Snyder era and two playoff wins. So that is something um, that's interesting. But back to the point, the the team and the league, uh, I think it was John Kime that said, that said this, you have to wait five years to rebrand. Again, the Washington football team didn't really count because it was said that it was going to be a temporary name, not the permanent name. And so it was said ahead of time that they're going to change it again. They got approval from the NFL. But with the Washington Commanders being the set in stone name for the foreseeable future, if a new owner wants to come in and change the name, they got to wait five years after the past rebrand, which happened in 2022. So the earliest that uh, the Washington Commanders can switch their name is 2027. 2028 so that um for those people that have been wanting red wolves it's not happening all right it's not going to happen at least for five more years and i think the washington commanders will be the name for the foreseeable future i don't think there's going to be another uh another rebrand i don't think josh harris wants another rebrand i don't think magic johnson wants another rebrand i think the washington commanders are the name for the future and so yeah that's pretty much it for josh harris and his six billion dollar offer for the Washington Commanders, another name that has pretty much been the um, kind of the front runner at one point to buy this team, Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon. He is not making a bid. It was reported that the day before Josh Harris, Josh Harris's report that Josh Harris was going to be the new owner of the Washington Commanders, and they came to agreement with the Snyder's. One day before that, Jeff Bezos or there was a report that Jeff Bezos will not be making a bid on the Washington Commanders, um, countering previous reports that he was very interested, and maybe he was very interested in the Washington Commanders. But another thing to keep an eye on, after the Commanders get sold, the other team that's probably going to get sold very soon is the Seattle Seahawks, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, Seattle. It's kind of all happening over there, so I think Jeff Bezos could be interested in buying the Seattle Seahawks, and that'll be for much less. I don't think the Seahawks will go for more than $6 billion or more for whatever the price of the Washington Commanders are going to go for. The Seahawks, a little bit less. They've had more re more recent success, but again, not as like, um, they don't really have that many accolades and as many championships as uh, the Commanders. So uh, in terms of the history of the Washington Commanders. So um, the Seahawks, they're going to go up for sale pretty soon, but... I guess he's just waiting for them and maybe he makes a bid with them and that's how he enters the NFL and the NFL ownership group.
because I don't really see it right now with the Washington Commanders and with reports saying that he's not going to make a bid and with the Josh Harris agreement, then I don't think he's going to be in the NFL, at least as the owner of the Commanders. Now, a name that has come up as of recent that have that pretty much just come from nowhere, out of the blue, and um, this was a lot of money as well. Uh, there's been reports that Brian Davis, the former Duke basketball player, won back-to-back championships with Duke in the early 1990s, has offered $7 billion to, the, to Dan Snyder to purchase the Washington Commanders. And this offer blows away pretty much any other offer that's on the table right now. Not only is it $7 billion, but he will indemnify Snyder as well, which means that he'll take on all of the legal liability and responsibility against Snyder and the team. All the fines will go to him instead of Daniel Snyder. So this is a very intriguing offer if you're Daniel Snyder right now. But there is a but. By the way, actually, first, before I go into the but, who is Brian Davis? I talked about before, Duke basketball player. He's also a DC native. He would become the NFL's first black owner if he won the bidding war. But there is a big um, missing piece here. Where in the world is this former Duke basketball player getting $7 billion? In cash, too. In cash. So that is something that is very fishy. Where is he getting these $7 billion? He's had past um, business... Uh, businesses or whatever past startups he's done it with christian leitner the uh, former um uh the former college basketball player as well so he's done some stuff with him and things have not gone on great there's been um i forgot his name right now i'll uh try and find him uh but there was a three-time all pro nfl player oh sean merriman who who came out and pretty much tweeted after he saw the news of um of Brian Davis potentially uh, making a bid for the Washington Commanders, he was saying that Brian Davis is a scammer. He has tried. He's gotten loans from other athletes in the past and other players in the past, and he's never paid them back. Millions of dollars of loans he's never paid back. It's pretty fishy. And if Dan Snyder selects Brian Davis, I don't think the ownership situation gets any better. Now this would be a completely different thing from what uh, Dan Snyder does. And I guess maybe it does get slightly better, but this team could fail if Ryan Davis becomes the owner, in my opinion, because I don't want a guy who's tried to start up many businesses and have failed many times and owns and owes a lot of loans to other of his peers. I don't want that guy being the owner of my favorite team. I would rather have Josh Harris, a guy with experience, a guy that knows what to do as a sports owner, how much how much should he have as say in the team itself and how much should he stay out of things? So I want a guy that has a lot of experience like Josh Harris. And I did want Jeff Bezos for a little bit, but after some thoughts and stuff, I think the Josh Harris group is definitely the best group. But Brian Davis, I don't want at all. Very questionable offer overall from a fan's perspective. Now, Brian Davis, he I mean, the, or, the article I think was from Darren Hayes, claims that he has a ton of assets including an energy company and also he sold one of his properties to help buy the team which i don't know how much his property is worth because that wouldn't really make that much of a dent into seven billion dollars in cash so 
I don't really know. I wouldn't make much out of it, but the report did come out, and so I did want to talk about it. I don't think it's that important. I think Josh Harris and his group will win the bidding war. I think it's pretty much set in stone at $6.05 billion. I think that's going to be the final offer that Dan Snyder chooses. But that was something to bring up because $7 billion blows out any other offer. And why would you even bid $7 billion when you could bid six and a half, six point four, six point three, and still give and still have the indemnify um part of the contract as well than indemnifying a Snyder? So why would you bid one billion dollars more when you could bid less? So this guy it seems very fishy, very questionable. Um, I would pretty much stay away with it, stay away from him if you are a fan because I don't think um, I don't think this guy is that great in terms of potentially being the next owner of the Commanders. All right, so now here is my thing. Okay, so here's the draft draft my draft rankings for the 2023 NFL draft. I'm gonna give you my top five plus a few honorable mentions. Um, I have about 30 total, and if you guys want, just comment under the YouTube video, or you can DM me on Twitter at the Sports Line, or DM the podcast as well as the podcast. Also, has a Twitter at Q uh, Q U W T C Podcasts on Twitter. So you can DM either of those, uh, either of those accounts, if you want, if you want um, to see what I graded. Uh, a player of your choice or if I grade them at all because then again I got through like 30 it was a pretty bad year in terms of prospect I, I started I started out hot and then and then it kind of fell off a little bit so these are my top five prospects and these are probably will be my top five prospects even if I finished out um, scouting a bunch of other guys so we'll start with the honorable mentions and the first honorable mention goes to my favorite quarterback in this draft, Anthony Richardson, the quarterback from Florida. This guy is, um, he has the ceiling of being a generational quarterback. He is the most athletic quarterback we've ever seen, have the highest RAS score, the relative athletic score at the combine, height, weight, everything, measuring all of his athletic abilities. And he had the highest out of any quarterback in NFL history over guys like Cam Newton. So that is something that, um, <laughs> that is something that if you're a team and you want an athletic quarterback, Anthony Richardson is as best you're ever going to get, most likely. A 100th percentile athlete. If you put him at other positions, he's still in the 80th percentile, 90th percentile at like tight end, 80th percentile or something at like linebacker. This man is a generational athlete. So I have him as an honorable mention where I think he's going to go probably the top five if not it'll probably fall off uh, again i think the earliest he goes is probably the seahawks at five i don't think he goes any higher i think bryce young to the panthers is pretty much solidified in stone it looked like it was going to be cj stroud for a little bit once they traded for the number one overall pick but bryce young i feel like is going to be the pick at number one and then there's been questions about number two will the texans take a quarterback will D'Amico ryan's want to do something else and bolster that defense that is really struggling over there in Houston. And and then at the third overall pick, the Cardinals are in absolute hell right now. Buda Baker requesting a trade where he wants to be paid as the highest paid safety in the NFL. Kyler Murray's not going to play for a good portion of the season with his torn ACL. You're, uh, we pr- you're, bas- you're pretty much basically the commanders, but three years ago, like your entire team is injured. It's looking like hell and you got a first-year head coach in there, but your owner is under investigation for a bunch of different stuff. The Cardinals, they're probably, 
I think they have a good chance that to, that they're going to lose their first round pick next year if the if the allegations and stuff against uh, their owner come out to be true, which is which will be interesting. But um, yeah, pretty much the Cardinals are in hell right now with the third overall pick. Will they trade back? Um, I'm not sure. But with the fourth overall pick, I think this is either going to be C.J. Stroud or it's going to be um, maybe Anthony Richardson. Probably maybe Will Levis, but probably C.J. Stroud if the Texans don't go quarterback at number two. And then at the at five with the Seahawks, it's probably going to be a defensive player or the best defensive player that they have left on their board. So that'll be a little bit interesting to see. Um, again, the Seahawks, they could also go with Anthony Richardson, like I said, but um, I'm just not really seeing it right now. I think Geno Smith, I think the Seahawks are really trying to get over the edge into the playoffs again and try and make a run in the playoffs rather than build for the future with Anthony Richardson. I think they're going to use that number five pick on the defensive line somewhere, whether it be Will Anderson if he falls, Tyree Wilson maybe, or Jalen Carter. So that's what I think is going to happen. I think the ceiling for Richardson is the fifth overall pick. The floor for him, though, is like seven or eight because I think the Lions at – I think the Lions have a sixth overall pick. It might be the seventh, but I think the Lions – I don't think he gets past the Lions um, if he goes that far. So – um, that is something to keep an eye on. And then my other honorable mention, I just mentioned him a few uh, minutes ago, but Tyree Wilson, the defensive tackle and nose tackle out of Texas Tech. This guy can play anywhere on the defensive line. He is, a lot of people compared him to a Demogorgon from Stranger Things because that is, when he's in his stance, that's what he looks like. He looks like a Demogorgon. So I, I mean, this guy is a monster on the defensive. He probably has the highest ceiling or one of the highest ceilings for any defensive player in this upcoming class. I think the ceiling for him will probably be the fifth overall pick to the Seahawks, but the floor for him will be a little bit less, probably the 10th overall pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. Probably will go somewhere between 5 and 10. Um, I'd be kind of surprised if he goes number three to the Cardinals. I know the Cardinals seem to... There's a little bit something. There might be something there with the Cardinals and Tyree Wilson at number three, but I'd be a little bit surprised if he goes number three to Arizona based on the situation that they're in right now. And so that um, I will mention for him there. And then at number five, we'll begin to my top five prospects in this upcoming draft. My favorite cornerback in this draft, and if he falls to Washington, I've talked about him many times before. I would run up to the podium myself and draft him. I'd run him from Virginia all the way down to Kansas City and draft this man before Ron Rivera goes and messes this up because Christian Gonzalez is the best cornerback in this upcoming draft class, the cornerback out of Oregon. He's locked down. He has the ceiling of being a true cornerback one, an elite cornerback one in the NFL. His, his athletic traits are off the charts. I believe he was in the 92nd percentile among cornerbacks. This man is that guy at the cornerback position, exactly what you want as an outside lockdown defender. So um, that's who I have at number five. At number four, I have my QB1 in this draft, Bryce Young. So Bryce Young, to me, look, so he's, he's good. He's great, right? He's going to be probably, I think he has the ceiling of being in that Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, maybe scratching the top 10 quarterback in the NFL range. I think he can be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. It's just can he stay healthy? He's a very small guy, about 200 pounds. A five foot ten, five foot eleven. So that guy, he's pretty small. He's gotten those comparisons to Kyler Murray, but again, Kyler Murray is like a muscle ball. He weighs a lot more. He's pretty much built like a like a um I don't even know, but it's like a big guy of muscle. So 
Bryce Young, when you look at him, is a, a lot more lean, and I feel like he could break pretty easily. Uh, I'm not worried about his height in terms of seeing over the middle of the field. Watching his film, I think he could see over the middle of the field pretty well. I'm just worried about his health, and um, when you have Aaron Donald uh, crashing in on you, or uh, let's say he goes number one overall to the Panthers, if you have a guy, I, I don't know, I'm thinking of like an edge rusher in the NFC South right now, and I can't think of any good edge rushers in the NFC South right now, actually. But um, I, I guess Brian Burns in practice crashing in on you, it's going to be pretty scary. So I have Bryce Young at the number four. I don't think he's the best player in this draft, but he is pretty clearly my quarterback one. Quarterback two is Anthony Richardson. And a little bit controversial controversy here, but quarterback three is CJ Stroud, in my opinion. So that, that is my fourth best player in this upcoming draft. My third best player, a guy with a, a lot of controversy around him too in terms of his off-field issues, Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle out of Georgia. This guy is a generational, um, or considered maybe a generational defensive tackle in this class. I know Theo Ash has him as his number one player in this class. But his off-field, I probably would have him at number two or maybe even number one, but his off-field issues do worry me a little bit, um, like dr reckless driving, drunk driving. Uh, it's not um, not pretty what he has on his off-field issues, but on the field, this guy is a beast, a great run stopper he, <clears throat> for his size. He's like Jordan Davis on like steroids. Um, <laughs> he, for his size, he, he has multiple pass rusher moves. It's pretty much everything you want to see in the defensive tackle. Um, and that, that's basically Jalen Carter, a ceiling of being one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. So I have him at number three. At number two is my favorite running back prospect, or a, maybe not my favorite, actually, but the best running back prospect pretty clearly in this upcoming draft, considered maybe the best running back prospect since Saquon Barkley, B. John Robinson, the running back out of Texas. This guy... Um, his his film was very fun to watch. From he's got elite elite cutback ability, agility. Uh, I don't think his speed is as bad as people will say it is. I still think that I'm just saying wait until he breaks off for a 50 yard touchdown in week two or week three for whichever team he draft he gets drafted to because uh, this guy he can run and he can break tackle. He pretty much can do anything that you want a running back to do. Now that I'm thinking about it. He, as a receiver, he can just be in the slot, and he's a big-body receiver or a semi-big-body receiver. I believe he's six foot, but he, he weighs a good lot, too. So, I mean, Bijan Robinson is definitely one of the best players in this draft. I have him at number two, which means that number one is, of course, the edge rusher out of Alabama, Will Anderson, maybe considered a borderline, pretty much considered a generational edge rusher going into his last year of college. But Will Anderson, he kind of kind of fell off a little bit in um, during his junior year, but I st still think he's the best player in this class. Whoever drafts him, whether it be the Cardinals or the Texans at two and three, or will it, maybe he drops to the Seahawks at five, they're going to get an immediate impact starter, and I just can't wait to see. If he gets drafted number two to the Texans, I think that's probably the best spot for him. D'Amico Ryans can drop a lot of different things. Will Anderson was the best on stunts and pretty much plays that confuse the offensive line. And um, yeah, he's got elite speed for an edge rusher as well. His power, I mean, his power is okay. It's 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 good. It's great. But 
it's not his best trait. His speed is probably his best trait. His explosiveness, his first step is pretty solid as well. So um, that, that yeah, that's why I have him at number one. He's the best player. So it, it, my top five in order, Will Anderson, the edge rusher of Alabama, is number one. B. John Robinson is number two, the Texas running back. At number three is the Georgia defensive tackle, Jalen Carter. At number four is Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback. And at number five is Christian Gonzalez, the corner out of Oregon. And six would be Tyree Wilson, and seven would be Anthony Richardson. So those are my top five, along with some honorable mentions. Again, if you want me, um, if you want to know what I graded any other prospect, I pretty much graded all of the top prospects by now then let me know in the comments and I'll uh, respond with what I graded your favorite prospect or whatever. So yeah. All right. And one final time for the 2023 NFL draft, the final weekly mock draft in terms of just the Washington commanders next week, I'm going to go through an entire first round mock draft with who I think will go where. So that will be pretty exciting, but here we go at pick 16. Okay, this was interesting, okay? So, at pick 16, the Falcons offered me pick 44, A.J. Terrell, and a 2024 second-round pick. Four pick 16 and pick 97. Now, I sat on this for, like, a good solid three minutes, and then I said no, and here's why. On the board was Joey Porter Jr., the corner out of Penn State. I went ahead and selected him. I think he can. he has the ceiling of being an A.J. Terrell or A.J. Terrell's prime season, in um the nfl and so i mean i'd rather go with him rather than falling back uh 30 spots in the draft losing a third rounder as well picking up a second rounder for another year and getting aj terrell a guy who i will have to pay uh going into after this season one yeah one more season and then a guy i'd have to pay so why not just reset the um reset like the contract and it's like joey porter jr i got four years of him three years before I have to offer him a contract or pick up his fifth-year option instead of A.J. Terrell, a guy who I would have to um, pick up his fifth-year option after this upcoming year. So I went ahead and selected Joey Porter Jr. with the 16th overall pick. At number 47, I selected Jack Campbell, the linebacker of Iowa. I know somebody's going to love that pick. And then at number 97, I selected Luke Weipler, the center out of Ohio State. So Jack Campbell, that pick there, um, again, we need linebacker depth. There's not a lot of great linebackers in the NFL. So I think Jack Campbell, a veteran, he was at Iowa for a good long time. So I think him across from Jamin Davis would be great. And then Luke Weipler. Uh, in, in, okay, so this is what I was thinking. If if we select Weipler, he can be the backup center behind Nick Gates, or Nick Gates can shift over to the left guard. You put in Weipler if he impresses during training camp and preseason at starting center. And then, of course, cut Chase Roulier because – and to, to save some money there because back-to-back season-ending knee injuries is not great for a center. So I selected him with the third-round pick, and then with the fourth-round pick, I selected Andrew Voorhees, the guard out of USC. I think I drafted him before. I've mentioned this before as well. Towards ACL, so won't be ready for training camp most likely. Will probably miss the preseason as well. I don't expect will pr- probably be ready about halfway through the season. But uh, Voorhees... I mean, he, he's all, he's going to be a solid uh, inside offensive lineman. I, I've said this many times on the podcast. You can never have too many linemen or on offense or on defense, in my opinion. So I went with Andrew Voorhees at 118. And then 150, these next three picks were very interesting. At 150, I went with Tank Dell, the wide receiver out of Houston. I doubt he's there at 150. 
but I went ahead and selected him. He kind of fell off draft boards a little bit during the senior bowl because he kind of disappointed in it. But besides that, I mean, he's still a great player. He's a very, like, very small guy, um, very shifty. Uh, he can do a lot of stuff in the backfield and put him in a running back. And so basically would take over the Curtis Samuel role. And Curtis Samuel, you'd either cut or you'd let him walk after this year. So I don't think we're going to re-sign Curtis Samuel anyways after this season. But Tank Dell could be a nice replacement for him if we do not uh, bring him back. So I selected him at 150. At, one, at 193, I think this is the second sixth-round pick. I selected eight – wait, no, sorry. This is the – yeah, this is the fifth-round pick. I selected Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback out of Purdue. Aiden O'Connell is one of the better day three – day yeah, or like early day three quarterbacks in this upcoming draft. Him and Stetson Bennett are two of the guys that I'm like – if you don't get any of the first four, and then Hendon Hooker, I don't want to get Hendon Hooker. Like, Aiden O'Connell and Stetson Bennett, they're a little bit interesting. I think they're both of them are pretty solid. They're, they're going to be in the league for a good long, a good portion of time. I think both of them can be pretty solid backup quarterbacks. Um, but Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback out of Purdue, at 193. And then with the second six-round pick at 215, I selected Mitchell Tinsley, another wide receiver, this one out of Penn State. So now our wide receiver core will be looking of um would be looking at Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, uh Tank Dell, and then Deami Brown and Mitchell Tinsley. That's six wide receivers right there. So again, what would happen to guys like um Marcus Kemp? He probably wouldn't be on the team. And then Deami Brown, if we do go two wide receivers here, Tank Dell and Mitchell Tinsley. Deami Brown would probably be traded to a different team because you look at him, only two touchdowns in uh, his first two years of his career. Not great. He's, I mean, he's a downfield threat, but he's not really, I mean, both of his touchdowns last year, it came in the tight, I think both of them came in the Titans game and both of them were, I mean, he was a downfield threat in both on both of those plays. But besides that, I mean, he hasn't really done much at all. For the first two years, he has that connection with Sam Howell. They were teammates at UNC for some time, but again, I'm I'm starting to give up on Deami Brown, a former third round pick. So that is something there. And then at the in the seventh round, I selected Dwayne McBride, the running back out of U out of UAB, because right now we're sitting with Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, and then after that, there's a big question mark: Will it be Jared Patterson? Will it be Jonathan Williams? Uh, Dwayne McBride here could be in the mix in the seventh round. So. I went ahead and selected him to kind of give us some more options at the running back position. And yeah, this episode was super long because there was a bunch of stuff that happened this week for the Washington Commanders, but that'll do it for this episode of Keeping Up with the Commanders. Next week will be the um will the will be the prediction mock draft. And then uh I'm probably after that. Um I'm still debating if I'm gonna do like a episode for every day of the draft. Probably not. But um, after that will be the draft recap, probably. And then maybe one or two more things. And that will be it for season two of Keeping Up with the Commanders. So, yep, the season, I mentioned it last week, coming to an end. And then, of course, we end usually probably a week or two after the NFL draft. And then um, kind of go on a little bit of a break and come back in early August, usually August 1st or August 2nd. So, um, and get ready for the new season. So yeah, 
that'll be it for this week's episode of Keeping Up with the Commanders. See you guys in the next one. Peace.